Before we begin this week's Parsha podcast, I would like to let the audience know that I was once again interviewed on the Shma podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, hosted by my dear friend Dan Coleman. He interviewed me and asked me a bunch of questions related to the subject matter of Mashiach, of the Jewish concept of Messiah. So if you're interested, check that out. In general, it's a fantastic podcast. Uh, Dan is a Balchuva who is navigating the intellectual and the spiritual and the religious journey of a Jew coming back to Torah. Really interesting. He's a fantastic thinker and uh, interviewer and Every episode is an absolute gem, so check that out. This week, I have a really important, really deep, if a bit complex, but certainly a topical idea on the Parsha that I think is something that's worthy to ruminate upon at all times, but certainly in the trying times, the very unusual times in which we are living. This week's Parsha continues the theme of last week's Parsha, namely that of sacrifices that are done in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. And there's one sacrifice in particular that I'd like to discuss today, and that is the Thanksgiving sacrifice, the Karban Toda. The verse tells us that under certain circumstances, someone is required to bring a Karban Toda, a Thanksgiving sacrifice. And Rashi tells us, quoting from the Talmud, that there's four instances when God miraculously saves a person, and that would mandate that that person bring a carbon toda, a Thanksgiving sacrifice. What are these four instances? So number one, someone who survives a perilous trip in the sea. Number two, someone who traverses a dangerous desert. Number three, someone who was interned in in jail and got out of that alive, and finally someone who was sick and was healed miraculously, such a person, one of these four people have to bring this Thanksgiving sacrifice to thank the Almighty for the goodness that he did for them. Now, there's a really interesting midrash discussing the idea of this Thanksgiving sacrifice, the sacrifice that you bring to thank God for him saving you from one of these four predicaments. And the Midrash says as follows, in the future, all the sacrifices are going to be annulled, they're going to be nullified, they're going to be discontinued, with the exception of the carbon toda, with the exception of the thanksgiving sacrifice. That will never be annulled. Moreover, says the Midrash, and this is from the Midrash Rabbah in Vayikra, chapter 9, teaching number 7. Moreover, all prayers are going to be annulled in this future time, with the exception of the prayer of Thanksgiving. So we have all prayers being discontinued, with the exception of the Thanksgiving prayer, and all sacrifices discontinued, with the exception of the Thanksgiving sacrifice, that is going to be eternal. Even in some futuristic time, these will endure. There's something lasting about giving thanks to God, that even when all the prayers and even all the sacrifices are discontinued, that perpetuates. And I think this Midrash raises all kinds of interesting questions. For one, when exactly is this future time? We know in Jewish eschatology, there is the idea of different epochs. You have this world, 
You have the world of Mashiach, of Messiah. You have the world of Chiyas HaMesim, of resurrection. You have the world to come, Olam Abba. It's not clearly identified in this Midrash which world or which futuristic world do we have this annulment of all the sacrifices and all the prayers with the exception of the Thanksgiving sacrifice and the Thanksgiving prayer? A. B. Why, indeed, will all the sacrifices and prayers be annulled? Aren't they eternally enshrined in the Torah that we bring all these sacrifices? So why, if we have the ability to do it, because we rebuild the temple, or we do have the facilities to halachically fulfill the mitzvah of various sacrifices, why would we not do it? Why would they be annulled? Why would they be nullified? Why would they be discontinued? And why specifically are the Thanksgiving sacrifices and prayers, why do they endure? Why do they continue? And maybe we can add another deep question. This particular sacrifice is brought when someone miraculously survives a potentially life-threatening danger. You go through the sea, you go through the desert, you're, you're in prison, you're deathly ill, and you come out of those dangers unscathed, you thank God. When we talk about some futuristic time, we generally assume it to be a much better, a vastly improved world, existence, than our current world. Why are we facing life-threatening dangers in this future time that warrant that we bring Thanksgiving sacrifices? I want to add another question that's tangentially related. When we pray in the synagogue, of course, today, most synagogues across the world are actually not in use because of this coronavirus crisis. But please, God, in the future, quickly, hopefully, we'll be able to get back to our normal religious life. You go to shul, and you have prayer, and of course, there is the silent prayer, the Amidah prayer, and then you have the Chazar Sashats, you have the repetition of the Chazan, of the leader, they repeat the Amidah prayer aloud for everyone. Why? So the Talmud explains, not everyone knows how to pray, and therefore, you outsource the prayer in case someone doesn't know how to do it, they could listen to the leader, to the chazan, doing the repetition of the Amidah prayer, and that counts for them as well. But it is interesting. There is one of the prayers that even when the leader of the chazan is repeating the Amidah, the rest of the congregation says the prayer themselves. And that is the prayer of Modim, again, the prayer of Thanksgiving the prayer of gratitude, of appreciation for God. So again, we see a diversion, a discrepancy between all the prayers and the prayer of Thanksgiving. All the prayers are going to be in all the future, but this one won't. Thanksgiving will continue. All the prayers you can outsource to the Chazan to say it for you, this one you have to say it yourself. There's a story I heard with the great sage and halakhic authority of the 20th and early 21st century, Rabbi Eliashiv, he was very old and he needed a surgery and they got, you know, the best surgeon in the world to fly into Israel to perform this surgery. And after everything went through with the procedure properly, Rabbi Eliashiv asked someone to find out how to say the words, 
thank you in English because you want to thank the physician, you want to thank the surgeon that had so adeptly, so skillfully done the procedure. So his grandson told him, you don't need to thank him. I'll thank him for you. He says, no. He says, Thanksgiving, we don't outsource. So they told him, the way you say toda, the way you say thank you, is by saying thank you. So he goes over to the surgeon and he says to him, thank you. Again, this idea that Thanksgiving is something that you have to do yourself, you can't outsource it. So why is Thanksgiving different? And what is the meaning behind this future world where a lot of the sacrifice, all the sacrifices are discontinued, but this one that continues, all the prayers are discontinued, this one endures. So I want to suggest a way of looking at this. And I think this is maybe a little complex. There's a few moving parts, but we could still create at least the architecture of the idea. In the Talmud, in the book of Sukkah, on page 52a, we read an account, a narrative, about another thing that happens in a futuristic time. And he uses the same words that our Midrash does by describing this epic, this future era, this future age. Le'asid Lavo, in this future time, the Almighty is going to bring the Sahara, the evil inclination, and slaughter it in front of the righteous and in front of the wicked. And then it goes on to describe that the righteous and the wicked have very different ways of perceiving what's happening. The righteous are going to see a mountain that's very tall, and that's what's going to get slaughtered in front of their eyes. The wicked will see a thin strand of hair, and that's what's going to get slaughtered before them. And they're both going to cry. The tzaddikim, the righteous, are going to be crying, and they say, how did we conquer this great mountain? And the wicked will also be crying, and they will say, How did we not have the wherewithal to conquer this flimsy strand of here? I think it's interesting. Both the Midrash that describes the future time in which there are no sacrifices save the sacrifice of Thanksgiving and the Talmud that describes this future time where the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, is going to be slaughtered both of them use the same nebulous term, la'asid lavo, in the future, and I think we could safely assume that they are referring to the same epoch. And I would argue that what they're describing is the same thing. What I'm going to argue is the fact that Torah, the way we see it, the iteration, so to speak, of Torah, the dimension of Torah that we are privy to, that is only because we have the Yetzirahara, the evil inclination. And in fact, the Talmud says elsewhere that the Torah that the Almighty gives us, certainly in the way that we have it, because we know that the Torah exists in multiple dimensions, the way we have Torah, the function that Torah is supposed to do to us is to be an antidote for the Sahara. What's implied by that is that suppose we could imagine a world 
where there is no Yetzer Hara, there is no evil inclination, then there would be no need for humans to have Torah, and certainly not the kind of Torah that we have. Of course, what that kind of world actually looks like is something that we cannot fathom because we don't have any experience with that world. But when the sages are employing identical words and describing dramatic transformations in the way we operate, here we have Yetzirah in the future, the Yetzirah is going to be slaughtered. Here we have mitzvahs, here we have all these sacrifices, here we have all these prayers in the future, those are done away with. Certainly no coincidence. And here we see maybe the logic behind it. If there is no Yetzirah in this future time, therefore the Torah at least the variety of Torah that we have, that we're told is given to us as an antidote for the Eid Sahara, well, then there's going to be this asymmetry, this mismatch. We're obviously not going to need the same kind of Torah that's an antidote for the Eid Sahara when the malady of the Eid Sahara doesn't exist. So just some context for this idea. Our sages tell us that Adam before his sin in the garden, of course, described in the book of Genesis, before his sin, Adam had no Yetzirah, no evil inclination. Ergo, we could say, Adam didn't have Torah. Of course, of course, he preceded Torah, preceded Sinai. He didn't have Torah, but that was not necessarily to his detriment because he didn't have the need for Torah, so to speak, because he had no Yetzirah. And if Torah is the antidote of the Yetzirah, then if you have no Yetzirah, you need no Torah, or at least not the Torah that we have. What happened with his sin? With his sin, our sages tell us, he caused the infusion of the Yetzirah within him, and consequently, he set into motion the process that necessitated that the Almighty gives us Torah. And therefore, in this future time, that process is going to be reversed. We're going to excise the Yetzirah from within us, and therefore, to a certain degree, to a certain dimension, the Torah that we got as an antidote to the Yetzirah is also going to be taken away. We don't need the antidote anymore. This brings us to the concept of thanksgiving and appreciation and gratitude. If we examine the story of Adam and Eve, what we'll notice is that one of the first things that Adam does after his sin is display ingratitude. So they do the sin, they eat from the tree, and God approaches them and they try to hide. Of course, we know the story well. And we read that God comes to Adam and Eve and asks them, did you eat from the tree? So in chapter 3, verse 12, we read, Adam said, The woman that you gave to me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. So Adam is being accused of a crime that he, in fact, did commit. And how does he respond to the allegation? He responds by throwing Eve under the bus. It's her fault. Moreover, our sages tell us, Adam is actually telling God it's not only her fault, it's your fault because you give me Eve. And Rashi has a scathing criticism 
of Adam, it's only three words, quoting from the Talmud, Rashi says, Kan Kafar Betova. Here, Adam displayed ingratitude to the goodness that God did to him. When God gave him Eve, he gave him something wonderful, something great, something tremendously beneficial to him. In fact, before he had Eve, Adam was lost. Adam was alone. Adam was despondent. He was sad. He got something wonderful. Now, he is displaying ingratitude because he is now influenced by the Yitzhahara. And the, the deep message here is that the essential flaw in man is ingratitude, is lack of appreciation, is lack of thanksgiving. Man in his perfected state, Adam, before his sin, there is no way for him to exhibit ingratitude because he essentially displayed thanksgiving. That was his essence. That was him in his basic sense. What is a human before any contaminants, before the eights are awry, before things go awry? What is a human? Human is a being that emanates thanksgiving. Thanks to the eight Sahara, thanks to the sin, Adam has ingratitude. There's something corrupt about his humanity. And therefore, he needs Torah, or humanity collectively, need Torah to bring us back to our perfected state, back to a time, a spiritual build, a spiritual composition in which we do display Thanksgiving, we do display appreciation. When we have the eight Hara, we need Torah, with all its many, many laws, to bring us back to that perfected state. And here, we could bring the Midrash back into focus. The goal of humanity is to once again restore that perfection that we had, so to speak, in Adam before his sin. In this world, post the sin, so to speak, we need Torah to nudge us back there. What happens in this future time? In this future time, the Eitzvah is going to be slaughtered. The imperfections are going to be purged from us. In that perfect world, we won't need Torah to push us there. We're going to have it innately. And therefore, even in that future time, we're not going to have the mitzvos that are there to bring us to our perfected state. We're going to be in our perfected state, and thus we will exhibit it by thanking God both in prayer and in sacrifice. And this would also explain why we can't outsource thanksgiving. It's something which is so fundamental. It's so essential. It is what makes us human we can't allow someone else to do that for us. I think the outsized importance of Thanksgiving, and certainly the role that it plays in humanity, both in our perfected and our currently imperfect state, that's highlighted in a very famous comment by the Ramban. I think it's safe to say it's the most famous comment by Ramban in all of Torah. It's known as the Ramban at the end of Parshish Bo. And it is a fascinating and sprawling treatise on the purpose of mitzvot, but it covers a lot of very essential topics 
in Jewish philosophy. And one of the closing remarks is as follows, quote, And the purpose of all the mitzvos. Why do we have all the mitzvos? What's the purpose of them all? So that we believe in God and we thank him and we acknowledge him that he created us. That is the goal of all of creation. For we have no other reason in creation, in the original creation. And the lofty one is only solely desirous in the lowly ones, i.e. in humanity, solely that we know and we acknowledge and we thank our creator who created us. And even when we pray and we lift our voice in prayer, And in synagogues, all of that is, the purpose of all of that is that we get together and we thank the Almighty who created us and we tell him and we acknowledge to him, we are your creations. All of Torah, all of mitzvahs is to bring us to the perfected state in which we exhibit thanksgiving to God. And therefore, in our perfected state, obviously, we will maintain that because that is what we stand for. Now, of course, it's it's important to stress that this is not to be implied as if God needs us to stoke his ego. Of course, we don't adopt such a infantile perspective. When we talk about us thanking God, it's for us. It's so that we have a connection with the Almighty. It enriches our spiritual life. But again, we're told, we're positioning here the human in their perfected state as a human of thanksgiving and all of Torah is there to bring us there and even when we don't need Torah, we want to make sure that we stay there and the prayers and the sacrifices of thanksgiving are going to be maintained even when the means to get us there are no longer needed. And to conclude this idea, I want to share an interesting connection that we find between breathing and thanksgiving. There's an astonishing midrash in Breshish Rabbah. This is chapter 14 and teaching number 9. It's a very interesting midrash. It's talking about the soul of man. And the midrash here tells us that the, the human soul is actually comprised of five different ideas or concepts or components. The nefesh, ruach, neshama, which I guess we could say is the, the, the spirit, the soul. Uh, I don't know exactly what the the English equivalent of these components are, but there's the nefesh, the ruach, the neshama, the chaya, and the yechida. And those final two, the chaya and the yechida, are much more arcane subjects, uh, much more Kabbalistic concepts. But this is, again, an idea that orients around the five components of the human soul. And then the Midrash goes on to talk about what these five components are, and it says something really interesting, the neshama, the soul, it permeates the entirety of the body. And then what does the soul do when a person sleeps? At a time that a person sleeps, the soul goes up to heaven and draws life from above. So those are some of the interesting teachings of this Midrash. But the Midrash concludes with the following statement. Rabbi Levi, in the name of Rabbi Hanina, said, For every breath that a person breathes, they have to thank God. And it quotes the very final verse 
in the book of Psalms, the book of Tehillim. Call Haneshama Tehalaliyah. Every soul shall thank God. How do you interpret that? Call Nishima Tehalaliyah. Every breath you must thank God. I'm interested in pointing out that the word for breath, when you inhale some oxygen, the word is Nishima. And the word for soul is Nishama. Even if we don't know Hebrew so well, those words are very similar. Nishima, Nishama. So what the Midrash is telling us is that what this is indicating that with every breath, you have to thank God. Now, obviously, the question is, how is it possible to thank God with each breath? I actually Googled the question, how many breaths do people take per minute? And the range of normal breath rates, I don't even know what the term is, is somewhere between 12 and 20 breaths per minute. And there's 1,440 minutes per day. So if you do the math, 12 to 20 times 1,440 equals somewhere between 17,280 and 28,800 breaths per day. And the Mitchell is telling us that every time we breathe, we have to thank God. So how many times a day do we need to thank God? Apparently, it's 17,000, somewhere between 17 and 28,000 times a day. How can we do that? Is it possible to think about anything else than thanking God? What is the meaning behind this idea? So maybe we can suggest a way of understanding it in line with our earlier insight. Thanking God is something so basic, so fundamental, so essential It is what makes us human. It is our essence, our neshama, our soul. The reason why we exist is to thank God. It's the oxygen of our spiritual existence. And just as your body needs a continuous flow of oxygen to live, so too your soul also needs a continuous flow of spiritual vitality to live. And what is as basic to the soul as oxygen is to the body? Thanking God. And therefore, we can never take a break from that. It's something which is so basic and so fundamental, so essential. It is what is manifest and more perfect. It is who we are. And I would maybe, just a way of understanding this, you know, you could breathe even if you're not thinking about it. Maybe we could thank God even if we're not actively thinking about it. It becomes part of who we are. It's it's how we live. We could become people who create environments and surroundings in which we're always thanking God. And that way we're always breathing this, even if we're not actively thinking about it. But I think it's, it is stunning that this is such a central concept, a central tenet of Jewish life, that it accompanies us at every juncture. Every time we breathe, we're told, essentially, we're supposed to thank God every time. 17, 28,000 times a day. I remember hearing a story with one of the great legends of American Jewry, Rabbi Avidur Miller. He was a rabbi, lived in Brooklyn, wrote a lot of famous books, and gave a lot of famous lectures. So the story goes that his grandson 
once witnessed him doing something very odd, very unusual. He saw him face down in a bucket of water and keeping it there for like 20, 30 seconds. And then he pulled his head out and he inhaled a lung full of oxygen and then he dunked his head back again in the water. Very strange, very odd, very unusual. He did this a few times. And every time he would keep his head under the water for 30, 40 seconds for a long time and pull his head back up and dunk his head back in. And after a while, the grandson goes to Rabbi Miller and says to him, I don't get it. What are you doing? Like, what, what is this very bizarre exercise? So the rabbi tells him, he says, we live in New York City. And there's lots of smog. There's lots of pollution. And someone said, oh, I hate the air. I hate it. I can't breathe. It's so disgusting. It, there's so much pollution here. And I was worried when I heard someone complain about the air. I was worried, am I going to lose my appreciation for the oxygen, for the life that is ever-present? Every time we breathe, thank God. I'm worried I would lose that sensitivity. I would stop thanking God. And therefore, what I decided to do was to dunk my head in water. And when you spend 30, 40 seconds underwater, you'll appreciate the oxygen, even if it's a little polluted. I don't want to lose my appreciation from that. And therefore, I did this very unusual exercise. And I think this idea is relevant today more than ever. Of course, the whole world is radically different than it was a couple of months ago. The whole economy is shuttered, essentially. I have my kids home now for three weeks. I'm sure everyone else does as well. People are going into work. People aren't even getting haircuts. In fact, I gave myself a haircut. Most of you won't end up seeing it because basically I don't see anyone. It's just us and our families. It's going to be a very unusual Pesach upcoming, I'm sure. Very different world that we live in. Why? Because of this horrific virus. And, of course, I hope no one who's listening actually experiences firsthand what this virus does. But if you research it, what this virus does and how it kills people or how it causes people to need hospitalization, it implants itself in the lungs and it disrupts the process of the lungs absorbing oxygen. It causes respiratory failure. And what happens then? You have to put someone on a ventilator. You have to outsource the breathing to a machine. And of course, that's not a great solution in general. And there's all these concerns whether there is enough ventilators. You need to create more ventilators. Of course, that's in the news. No one needs, everyone knows that. Everyone's heard that. Are there enough ventilators? How do we produce more? What's going to be if we run out of them? And of course, we're wrestling, we're grappling, we're struggling with what the message is from God. What does he want from us? What's the takeaway? And of course, over the past couple of weeks, the Parsha podcast and some of the other podcasts, we've wrestled with these questions together. But I think, in light of this Parsha, Parsha talks about the carbon toda, the thanksgiving sacrifice. And our sages tell us, every time we breathe, we have to thank God. 
That's certainly something which is very difficult for us in usual times. But maybe this could be something that we think about this week, this upcoming Shabbos, during this crisis. Maybe one of the lessons of this pandemic is that we are not thankful enough. We are not appreciative enough. We don't value all the goodness that we have. We're not taking this lesson of the Midrash. We're not taking the lesson of the Talmud that our humanity, our essence, our existence is to thank God. And that is something which applies every second of every day. Every time we breathe, we have to thank God. So my hope is that all of us are spared from the ravages of this horrific virus, and all of us and our families are safe and healthy, and things improve across the country, across the world, and certainly for our brethren in Israel. But I think it's a time, it's an auspicious time to think about this, to think about the fact that our humanity, our existence, is essentially about thanking God. And every time we breathe, we can't feel entitled to it. We must thank God. And I think that circumstances have made it a lot easier to be appreciative of oxygen, to be appreciative of the fact that we could so easily breathe. So again, my hope and prayer is that all of us are spared from this horrific virus. All of us are safe and strong and secure. All of us get to know our families really, really well. And this is going to be a Pesach that we really spend with our family. Most of us are probably not going to have any guests. We're, we're, we're not going to have any. We're not planning on having any, any guests. We're, we're still in lockdown. The city of Houston, the Harris County in which we live, it has all these mandatory stay-at-home orders. Let us ruminate upon this idea. Let us think about the fact that we have to thank God and it is the fundamental essence of what makes us human. I thank you for listening. My email address is rabbiwalwajima.com. Take care, stay safe, Shabbat Shalom, and Chach Sameach.